If you have your Bibles, turn with me once again to Psalms. And in uh, chapter 115, Our focus this morning will be on the second half of this psalm, but I'll read from the beginning in verse 1 of Psalms 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But he will bless the Lord, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in opening uh, and coming before the Lord in prayer. Father, we bow our heads because this morning our hearts are bowed before you. We close our eyes because you are worthy of all of our attention, all of our focus. Lord Jesus, you have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And we gather together here in Vina in this building because you have powerfully made yourself known to each of us. And we are forever changed because of this. Change us more. We would humbly pray and ask that you would make your face to shine upon us here in Vina and across the globe through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the preaching of your word for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
this wonderful psalm. I've, I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks uh, being in it and unpacking it and being reminded of the hardships in the Christian life and how they are temporary, um, though often we feel like they are going to last forever. The rewards of the Christian life are eternal, though often we feel that they are temporary. God's word reminds us of which one is true. That the Holy Spirit counsels us when we mistakenly feel and uh, believe incorrectly. And as a body of believers here, we can bear with one another and strengthen each other to have our hearts focused on what is true and what is real and what is eternal. After all, where does our help come from? Yes, the maker of heaven and earth. We are reminded in these verses that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. It pleases him to be our help, our shield, a bulwark, never failing. We had... Uh, during our Sunday school time, a wonderful discussion about the, the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther found comfort in the beginning verses of, of Psalm 46, where it reads that God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who always is found in times of trouble. During our, our call to worship this morning, uh, we are reminded in verse 23 that a person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. During our time of uh, confession and pardon and, and thanks, uh, our, our scripture in Hosea chapter 7 and verse 15, we're told that God trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against him. The second half of, of uh, Psalm 115, the, the verses that we read, they repeat in there three times that God is our help and our shield. And, and I'm here this morning to remind you that our Lord will be faithful to bless those who fear him. That Those verses include us. Like you can put your name in there. You who fear him, both great and small, both small and great. I want to also remind everyone here, both young and old, that you will do well to humbly yield to the supremacy of Christ in this age so that you can enjoy him in the next. Children, children, I want to invite you to think in your mind. Don't answer out loud, but think in your mind the answer to this question. What is man's chief end? Yes, I'm sure it's ringing in your mind to glorify God. 
and to enjoy him forever. And as one of your pastors, I am not here this morning to stand between God and you. I am here to make sure that nothing else does. I want to remind you of a a faithful prayer that I've been deeply encouraged by, a true prayer that can be found in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7, 8, and 9. Wonderful words from Agur. He says this in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7, 8, and 9. Two things I ask of you. This is his prayer. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What a humble prayer. Uh, He asks for a modest life due to the potential deceit that would come from both extremes, ditches that we would want to avoid and not be in. Last Sunday, we wrapped up our verses um, in chapter 20 of Matthew, and it read, this is verse 16, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus' words in the last verse of the previous chapter, if you probably have it on the same page as Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 19, verse 30 says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. These verses make clear that God does not judge based on any outward appearance or performance. We are very limited on what we can see in a person's heart. All that we have to go off of is uh, fruit from that person's life. And even then, that can sometimes be misleading. But with God, he is never misled. He is never mistaken by outward appearances Jesus is never fooled by anyone. In his kingdom, no one will earn their status by any of their own contributions. In a world that is addicted to power, our world is very much so addicted and uh, thriving on ambition and power. Jesus came born in a manger and radically redefined true greatness where the servant outshines the ruler. 
His entry into Jerusalem on a simple donkey expressed a regal humility that few in that day understood. Still today, few understand. Because of his meekness, all believers receive the full benefits of God's glorious salvation solely because of his undeserved, unearned grace. Christ Community Church of Vina, all peoples throughout history past and the future ahead are equally sinners and all who believe equally receive God's matchless grace through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm sure you all know this and believe this, but it's, it's re- worth repeating it's in light of these verses and where I'm going to be going. No one can earn their salvation, no matter how much or how long they worked at it. As the, the verses that Ed read for us earlier Uh, their efforts will result in a half-baked cake, one that has not been turned, burnt on the top, dough uncooked on the bottom. In fact, even our response to the gospel displays God's grace in his drawing us to himself. God's sovereignty, his sovereignty, his complete and total unlimited power and his generosity determine at what age, what stage of life, in what circumstances his people are going to be called to faith. He is the author of that for each one of us. He offers his children gracious opportunities thereafter for service. And it is he who determines our rewards. I want to ask you, what qualified the laborers in Matthew chapter 20? What qualified the laborers to work For the master. What what qualified them for work was that they all had no work. None of them had any work. None of them had any hope of work if it were not for the master. He was their salvation. We had no hope of salvation. God looked on us with his kindness and took us into his vineyard, into his kingdom. We had no skill. There's a belief out there. Some people believe that that God 
looked into eternity, into the future, and, and he saw something great in us. And he predestined for us to be saved because he saw something. This is, this is false. It is ridiculous. There, there is nothing good in any of us apart from the good that God has planted in each one of us. The only good that is in any of our futures as God from eternity past is all knowing about eternity future. The only good is is God sourced. Last week, I encourage you to to read the parable of the sower or what's often referred to as the parable of the soils. I hope that you had time to look at that and In that parable, Jesus taught that the gospel is fruitful only in the hearts of the elect who receive the truth and are changed by it. We are all dead soil apart from the life that only God in his grace gives us. The the reality is in our Sins and trespasses in in our rebellious state of unbelief left to our own demise, we would actually reject the seed of salvation. It would be spit back at the sower, which we know is Jesus Christ. If we somehow were able to reject God's call in our life, we would do it. We would rebel if it was not for the softening of everyone here who has believed in Jesus Christ, the softening of your heart through the regeneration that only Christ can provide, we would remain a sterile soil, dead in every way and fully deserving of God's just judgment. That's what we would earn. Last week, I reminded us what we've earned, what our wages apart from Christ, the wages of our sin is death. I, I appreciated uh, what R.C. Sproul had to say about this. Uh, Pastor Fred reminded me of, of this quote from, from him. This is what R.C. Sproul had to say. God does not always act with justice. Sometimes he acts with mercy. Mercy is not justice, but it is also not injustice. God cannot be unjust. Injust violates righteousness. Mercy manifests kindness and grace and does no violence, no wrong to righteousness. We may see non-justice. If you type that word into your computer, it will light up, misspelled. <laughs> that, is, that is a new word uh, that, that I think R.C. Sproul came up with. We 
may see non-justice in God, which is mercy, but we never see injustice in God. His justice, his wrath has come and it was all placed on Jesus Christ. Do me a favor and turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11. If you do not have your Bibles, we have some extra ones. And uh, those are available typically at the door over there. But it seems as though those have been picked up. But we, we will replenish those. We have Bibles available if you happen to forget yours. John chapter 11. Another powerful portion of Scripture proving that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. We know that Jesus is the author of life. Earlier in Acts, Acts chapter 3, Peter rebukes the men of Israel saying that they have killed the author of life. So it makes sense that Jesus had the power to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Jesus is the author of life. Many think that the focus of, of these, these verses regarding Lazarus and his being raised from the dead is, is a physical focus, but it is not. Jesus put the focus on the, the, the spiritual things, spiritual life. Jump down to verse 21. There's a lot of verses here about uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, 44 of them. You can read them all. Um, but I want to jump down to verse 21 of John chapter 11. Read with me, beginning there. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' focus in this occurrence in, in the Gospels of, of Lazarus was on doing the Father's will. And, and the Father is in the business of uh, spiritual health uh, much more than physical so Jesus was not only fulfill, uh, fulfilling prophecy by raising people from the dead. This was, this was a portion of Jesus's ministry that he was, he was to fulfill previous prophecies regarding his ability to have power over death and raise and heal. But more importantly, we read these verses to know that Jesus is the only way to have spiritual life. I think I... I referenced uh, 
last week how some people are prone to make up their their own religion, which states that there are many paths that lead to God's kingdom. It doesn't just have to be Jesus. It could be uh, Gandhi. It could be Buddha. It could be Muhammad. Uh, it could be all, all sorts of different uh, ways. You might see the bumper sticker that says coexist. Uh, that, is, that is not true. Uh, Jesus is the only way to have spiritual life. And many times in the Bible, we read that Jesus intentionally and purposely did not do what people were praying for. That might be striking, but Jesus purposely did not do what people were praying for, asking that he would do. Earlier in the book of John, in chapter 6, there's an account of the feeding of the 5,000. That might be familiar to you. What, what might not be familiar to you is his exchange with Philip. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. After this, Jesus went away. To the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his people. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? This is the verse that I wanted to focus on, verse 6. So John chapter 6, verse 6 says, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what Philip's answer was going to be. Many times in these occasions where these verses are written, it's for us. It's for us to know. It's for us to know that Jesus knew. Sometimes we might get just, you know, a little bit mixed up in in the reading of these these amazing things, these amazing counts, and and lose sight of Jesus' divinity. He's God. He, He knew. He knew and it's recorded in scripture in such a way so that we would read it today and know that he knew. Later in John, later is another account that I want to bring to your guys' attention. In chapter 16, John chapter 16, verse 16, John 16, 16, the disciples are trying to make sense of what Jesus is telling them regarding his death and resurrection. John chapter 16, verse 16 says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he, is, that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. 
And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So here's here's verse 19. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. Why did he know what they wanted to ask him? Because he's God. He knew what they were what they were discussing. He couldn't hear what they were discussing. He knew. He knew what they were discussing. They didn't want him to know what he was discussing. He knew. So he says to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So again, I just I bring this scripture to you as one of many examples where Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew far beyond the physical things of what were going on into the spiritual things in 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 Mark chapter five is another example. Jesus knew that his delay in responding to Jairus, the, the well-known religious leader in the synagogue of Capernaum, would result in the death of his 12-year-old daughter. Mark chapter five uh, records this. And Jesus, though many would say he was late, he was, he was late and the daughter died because Jesus was late. Jesus was not at all late in giving her life and raising her from the dead. Similarly with Lazarus. So I want to jump back. Thank you for traveling through all those passages with me. John chapter 11. If you're still there, John chapter 11. Take a look with me at verses 5 and 6. Tell me if, if this is something that you recall from the account of, of uh, Jesus and his dear friend Lazarus. I don't hear any more pages turning, so that is good. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He went there immediately. No, he stayed two days longer. Why did Jesus stay longer? Was it so that Jesus would arrive at a time when Lazarus was still alive? Now, many scholars believe that the same day that Jesus was notified that Lazarus was ill, that day he, he succumbed to his illness and died. So it would have been on like the fourth day when Jesus arrived. He was well past being, you know, on time in terms of what people would have accepted. He was late he stayed and, and Lazarus died. A few verses later, the disciples are confused and ask Jesus if Lazarus is just sleeping. 
they, they got a little mixed up on, on how people die. Jesus replies in verse 14, John chapter 11, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He's not asleep, guys. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may or will believe. The may is not implying that there's a chance that they won't believe. The, the, the may is for sure that you may believe, that you will believe. Jesus makes us believe. Just as surely as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, so too does Jesus raise the elect to spiritual life. When you are spiritually dead, it's just like being physically dead. You can't think to yourself or say to yourself, you know what, I hear Jesus calling me to life, life everlasting, but I'm going to stay here and remain spiritually dead. That does not happen. Jesus is not knocking on the door of a person's heart, an unbeliever, and asking to come in. Many people are misled and, and misinterpret what Revelations chapter 3, verse 20 says. These, these are Jesus' words in Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There's no mention of heart. It's completely false that somehow Jesus knocks on the door of our heart. The context of that passage is that Jesus is addressing the church of Laodicea. And it's the door of the church, not the heart. The, the word heart isn't even mentioned in chapter 3. But people have found comfort in this picture of Jesus that somehow he's... he's He's waiting. He's, he's patiently wanting us to, to let him in. Jesus saves people. That's why they want him. Not the other way around. Your response to the gospel is not causing you to react you are reacting, your heart, your dead, like a stone heart, is turning into a flesh because God's work of regeneration has begun. And you have no choice. It is God's choice. Lazarus had no choice. The account of Lazarus is beneficial for us to know that Lazarus did not have a say in whether or not he would be raised from the dead. I know you guys know this about death, but it's just worth expressing a little bit further that dead means dead 
So when you're dead, your ears don't work. Your, your, your brain has stopped working. You can't, you can't think about whether or not Jesus is saying come forth and I don't really want to. Now's not a good time. There's no way for a dead person to reject God's power, Jesus's command. He, Lazarus couldn't put his fingers in his ears. He couldn't deny when Jesus commanded Lazarus to come out, he was not asking. This is wonderful. This is, this is comforting for us. Jesus was not hoping that Lazarus would accept him. Lazarus did what the God of the universe told him to do. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases And that includes saving whom he will save and choose to be his children, those that he has written in the the Lamb's book of life and have been given to Jesus for his glory. If you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven He is seated at the right hand of the Father and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. If you believe this, it is because you were once dead in your sins and your trespasses and God has graciously and generously worked to make you alive. You are living this day spiritually because of what He has done in your heart. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus Jesus prays in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know the truth. To know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This is why you and I are born again and saved for the glory of God. This is why Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead for the glory of God. And many believed 
because of Jesus' miraculous healing. It doesn't matter if you previously thought that you had contributed to your salvation. Perhaps that was a teaching that you were under, <clears throat> that, that you somehow contributed to, to your salvation. That's, that's water under the bridge now. What matters is that you know that your salvation was all the work of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit so worked for you to be saved. Friend, if you are here and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are here listening to this message of hope for a reason. And you are in good company because all of us here were once one of those laborers with nothing. And the master of the vineyard found us and gave us all that we could, we could never earn on our own. We were all like Lazarus, totally and completely dead, dead, dead. Seeds, <clears throat> seeds and the, and the sower of the, uh, the, the parable of the sower or the parable of the, the soils. Um, if you know me, I, I, I love plants and, and horticulture and things of that uh, sort. And I, I was encouraged to, to read a little bit about the oldest seed that's been germinated. You can look this up in uh, Wikipedia. The oldest seed that has grown into a plant was a Judean date palm. You know, those palm trees, they have dates. And the seed was over 2,000 years old. And it was in the tomb of Herod the Great in Masada in Israel. So they found this palm date seed that, that had been in this tomb for over 2,000 years. And, and you can read this in Wikipedia. In 2005, they added some soil to it. They added some, some warmth and some water to it. And that date palm seed germinated. It's amazing. Now, you'll read this. The only reason why that date palm was fit to be able to be germinated some 2,000 years later was because while it was in that tomb, it was as dead as Herod the Great. Dead seed. Just no life in it. Because of that, it was able to be germinated. Someone added soil, someone added moisture, someone added warmth, and that seed germinated. Friend, no heart is too hard. No heart is too old. No heart is too far gone for God to save. There is no cleaning up of your life that you need to do 
to somehow be fit for God to save you. You qualify. If you're here this this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and you recognize that you qualify, you are a sinner in need of a savior, know that nothing is impossible for God. Brother or sister, if you're here this morning and you're praying for someone who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible for God. He, he puts things way out on a limb. And, and people are like, it's just, I just really don't see that happening. I, just, I see the, the branch breaking. We're not going to be able to reach that thing. And God reaches it and God makes it happen. And God stacks up all the odds against him so that he'll be glorified. He didn't want to make Lazarus well after being a little bit ill. You know, help him out if he's got COVID or something. That, that wasn't what Jesus was going to save Lazarus from. He was going to raise him from the dead. Nothing is impossible. If you are here and you have questions about what the next step would be, what, what is, if you have questions about what next to do as far as putting your faith in Jesus, please ask me or one of the elders your questions. Join me as I close in prayer.